Welcome to Thrive Deeper, an ongoing conversation with Dr. Matthew Jacoby, author of the Thrive Bible Reading Guides, teaching pastor and leader of the Psalmist Band Sons of Korah. Join us as we go deeper into the Bible, discussing the passages as we read them together with Thrive. Now here's your host, DJ Payne. G'day and thank you for joining us on episode four of Thrive Deeper. Uh, we are deep in Ezekiel and this is the uh, the turning point of the book of Ezekiel. Today we'll be covering uh, chapters 33 to about 37 and this is that transition period where the message of Ezekiel changes. Uh, we're going to touch on some prophetic parts and talk about the bigger picture about the prophecy and what it's all about. Also talk about the fact that the promises of God in Scripture are all about the purposes of God and what He's doing. I had a great time with this conversation with Matt, and I'm so thankful that we've got this here for you to partake in it as well. I'll be back at the end of the conversation to let you know how you can connect with us. But without further ado, here is the conversation between myself and Matt. Thanks for joining us on Thrive Deeper. All right, now we're, we are cruising through Ezekiel uh, with our readings and stuff like that. So uh, we we are, let, let's do a little bit of a recap of the overview so far of Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel, in time and space, he is living around the year, well, he's, uh, he goes... The first prophecies are around 592, so he goes in 597. Yes. Uh, he um, he goes in exile. Yeah, and so we know with the first major deportation. Yeah, and we know that he's in Babylon. He's one of the first exiles in there, and he starts writing on his thirtieth birthday. That's when right. He, when yeah, he right. would have been, he's sitting there, sad, feeling sorry for himself because he would have been inducted into the priesthood right. in Jerusalem. That's right. And he's yeah. sitting there, and then instead of being inducted into Jerusalem, he gets this vision of God. You know, yeah. you know, the very you're going to be a prophet. Yeah, the very presence of God yeah. comes to him, and he's not like, only oh. that, you're going to be a prophet, and no one's going to listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is that is yeah. pretty well, much. Well, in the make a clarification, and this is the part with which I love how God works with works with Ezekiel. God saying, "Don't worry, Ezekiel. They're not listening to me. Yeah, you know, right, you yeah. know, they're not listening to me. They're going to not listen to you, but they're actually not listening yeah. to me." You know? And and the fact is is that eventually they do. Eventually they do listen, and yeah. um, and we come to in in the story of Ezekiel, we come finally, as we've said, Ezekiel. Uh, you know, prophesies from 592. Yes. And uh, in 586 BC, after a siege, um, the and after the rebellion of Zedekiah, yes. um, we have the Babylonians come back, lay siege to the city, and they eventually break in. And after a massive Massacre. bloodbath, they completely destroy the city yeah. and the temple. And um, and this is where we are now, actually, up to in chapter 33, uh a messenger comes from Jerusalem. Now, this is pretty much like a, a major halfway point yeah. of, the, of in the book. The yeah. book changes tone. Mm, that's right. Yeah. So we've seen um, all the all the I say crazy, but you know, in our worldview, the crazy sign, you know, the the, the living sign that that Ezekiel has had to be mm. up until this point. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, lying on his side, cooking his food over his waist. Yeah. You know, all this horrible stuff that he's been doing. 
uh, different, you know, uh, you know, prophecies at his beginning, different visions that he's been having. This, that's right. It's getting lower and lower and lower. Back home, he's and seen- actually the important thing about that is that in all of those um, gestures, hmm. in quite a lot of detail, uh, Ezekiel is prophesying what's actually going to happen. Yes, and what happens then is that we see in. In chapter 33 is this messenger comes from Jerusalem yeah. and reports that everything and tells them everything that happened. Yeah. And it turns out to be exactly all of the things that Ezekiel had just said yeah. and, and, and even enacted, yeah. including the siege and the, the breaking through the wall and the destruction of the city and the temple. And I mean, in the ancient world, um, uh, it, it wasn't always customary for them to go around destroying temples. Yes. Uh, um, but uh, Nebuchadnezzar completely uh, destroyed the, the temple of um, uh, of Yahweh in Jerusalem, and so they th- th- it signifies this point in the text where all of those prophecies have been fulfilled, yeah. and then he now turns to messages of hope. Yes. And at this at this stage, they're listening to what he said. Yeah. He's saying, and this is where we this is where there, there's the, the two sides of the coin of living in the year 2018 and reading this thousands of year yeah. old text yeah. is we, it's, it's <clears throat> like for the people at the time, yeah. it was like, you know, imagine keeping newspaper clippings yeah. of what this crazy man is saying. Yeah. And everyone's sort of making a mental note and he's writing it down. People are noting it. And then all of a sudden one day it all comes true. It all comes true. And they go, Oh, Okay. And it turns the turns story. Exactly. And the significant thing about that is that then he goes on to prophesy things about the future. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, in a, and, and this actually you find on a broad level, this is how scripture actually works, mm. is that we have immediate fulfillments uh, which signify actually that this particular character is a prophet of the Lord. Mm. And actually there's a number of times in those earlier in the first half of Ezekiel that says when this happens, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because he wants them to know that first, because yeah. then he's going to get Ezekiel to talk about things beyond their time. Yeah, things that even move into our time. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. that have actually been fulfilled uh, yes. in our time and even beyond our time. So, um, so this is why Ezekiel then is from this point on is acknowledged as a prop as a prophet. This is why we have his words recorded in scripture exactly. because of this authentication. The same thing happened, you know, w- w- happens with Isaiah and Jeremiah and they prophesied not only things in the distant future, but things in the immediate future. Yeah. And it was the fulfillment of the immediate prophecies that caused them to be taken seriously. And I love, I love, I love at this point as well that, it's like it's like a great uh, a great writer or one of those classic things that you always hear about. Um, I forgot who said it originally about uh, movies. Yeah. If you see, I think it might have been a Russian writer or something said. You know, if you put a gun in Act One, yeah. know that the gun's going to come back in Act Three and be yeah. crucial to it. Yeah. So very early on, I think it's in Chapter Eleven, when God is giving telling telling uh, Ezekiel what's happening with Israel, he's like, they've got a heart of stone. Yeah. You know, they're not going to listen to me. Yeah, they're not yeah. going to listen to you. And then he gives a tiny, like a hint, like the what's coming in the yeah. future. But yeah. one day, there's gonna ha- I'm going to change their heart. Yeah. They're going to heart of flesh. They're going to listen. Yeah. We don't hear about that again for chapters and chapters That's and right. chapters. And-, and then at this crucial time, when all of this taken point, it's like, okay, let's talk about what that, you yeah. know, what, what let's flesh out that heart of flesh from yeah. chapter 11. That's a really good point, actually, yeah. because it, uh, the book of Ezekiel is amazingly well-rounded, the yeah. way that it actually um, 
in this conversation that God is having with his people, that he brings up these issues. But then a lot of the answers come back mm. uh, in, in those later chapters, including significantly that vision that we have in the early chapters of the departure of the glory of the Lord uh, from the temple and from Jerusalem. Well, at the end of the book of Ezekiel, we see this vision of the glory of the Lord returning. That's it. So you get this, uh, you you get this wonderful rounded off picture. And not, and not just, and again, this is another major point that I've read, like reading through yet again, through Ezekiel. I love the fact. I mean, you still can't get over the, 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 the ginormous crazy trip that is him seeing this physical presence of yeah, the glory of yeah, God, right, yeah, at the beginning. Yeah. And then we see it again when the, the glory leaves the temple because yeah, they're yeah. all there's idolatry going in there. Yeah. God leaves, and significantly, God leaves towards the east. He's yeah. going to Babylon. Yeah. You know, Ezekiel seeing them. That's right, yeah. And then when the, finally, when we have this, the, the remnant return yeah. and things being great, God's glory comes back. So it's almost to the point where this, I hate to use the word evolution, but it's an evolution of for them to understand that God's presence is no longer in this place or thing. Yeah. It's now abiding in his people. That's right. He's pursuing them, actually. Yes. And, and at the end, uh, when the, as there's this vision of the restoration uh, of the temple, and we'll, we'll talk about that in probably the next episode, hmm. um, that... It has the same vision. He sees the same vision, mm. but returning to mm. this temple and mm. coming from the east. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love just those little details. Yeah. And if so, unless you're a nerd, a Bible nerd, and try to look at a map and everything like that, or go yeah. read, you know, and that's part of the reason why we do these things is to try to bring our Bible nerdery, you know, our yeah. love for these little yeah. facts into, you know, just, and I think it just makes it all so much yeah. richer. Okay, so let's get into it. Chapter 33. This battered survivor, like almost like a refugee from yeah. Jerusalem, comes to Babylon and yeah. says, "It's shot. Yeah. It's fallen. Yeah. We're done. You don't. Yeah. Everything that you've said has come true." That's and right. the people go, "Holy moly!" But there's still, yeah, there's still stirrings of of rebellion. And one of the things that they would have asked is, "How is everyone? Like, what's the mood? You mm. know, back there with the survivors?" Mm. Because of course, there's there are thousands who are coming following this survivor into exile who mm. are about to join uh, Ezekiel's um, exile community. Um, but the messenger evidently uh, brings, most probably brings news uh, mm. that there's the stirrings of further rebellion. Yeah. I mean, you'd think after all yeah, of that, after every- why th- th- this almost this sense of entitlement yeah. to God's help. Uh, that will, but uh, I think there's also an understand a really understandable. And it depends what where you come from and what background you you have, I guess, and the way that you see the world. But I, for whatever you know, my <clears throat> it might be a political yeah. worldview, or whatever. I sort of get it. Yeah, this nationalistic yeah pride of yeah, going, they're, they're we're going to fight. Gonna you know, oh, yeah. we're going to you know, yeah. and I I sort of feel for them like. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, we can rise up. Yeah. And-, and they actually, they because it says here in 33 from verse 23, it says, um, Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, the people living in those ruins, the ruins of Jerusalem in the lands of Israel, are saying, Abraham was only one man, man yet he possessed the land. Uh, but we are many. Surely the land has been given to us as our possession. So they're saying... Mm. They're thinking, oh, God's going to help us. We're only few, you know, that everything's been destroyed, but we're going to rise up and God's going to help us. And basically God's answer is, no, no, I'm not actually because you're not walking in my purpose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, and what 
what God is going to do with the exiles is that he's going to bring them back under his purpose. Mm. Uh, and that's, um, you know, that, that is, mm. is going to um, ensue, that attitude is going to ensue in one final uprising. Mm. Um, uh, there's a, a governor that's put in place back in Judea, Gedaliah. Um, there's uh, a, a young man's going to rise up and assassinate him and then they're going to realise that it's, it's kind of futile yeah, yeah. and they're all going to end up in Egypt yeah. and they're going to take, actually, quite sadly, they're going to take Jeremiah with them, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. the prophet Jeremiah to Egypt. So that that uh, all ends in tears. Um, but God is speaking to that, saying no. Uh, and the interesting thing there is that they think that that's faith. They think yes. God has promised actually yes. to... Um, you know, to bless us, mm-hmm. um, and and so let's you know let's have confidence in that. But this is this is a presumptive kind of faith. I think we can learn something from this. Mm-hmm. There's a presumptive faith that says God's job is just to follow me around, blessing me. Mm-hmm. What they miss then, and I think what we can often miss is that the promises of God for blessing are for the purposes of God. Mm-hmm. And when we step out of the purpose of God, we step out from under the promise of God. Uh, it's it's not that it's, I mean, e- even when we stray away from God, God is still faithful and his promises of, of uh, forgiveness still apply. Mm. But we can't just expect this promise of blessing to apply for whatever reason or, yes. or just o- in, in this open-ended sense. It's it also, the, it also purpose. I personally, you know, in my, my personal journey uh, of faith has been one of, you know, up until about, you know, a decade ago in my 30s, I was still struggling. And I know the seed is still there, that 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 part of my heart that is so religious mm. is still there in my heart. I, mm. I and it's and it's a it's it's not the battle it once was, but I'm mindful of it because I remember how hard it was for me to fight for years. And this reading about the the, the Jewish faith back then, these Jews in the thing yeah. reminds me of and it has so many echoes of different passages of scripture. It's it's that uh, you know the reminding of that God isn't interested in the religious part of mm. it. You know, and this is like yeah, you're saying, yeah. it's about the purposes, and it's one of those corny things. It's about that relationship. It's about yeah. the promises. Is a, is a is a functioning relationship, not just you once promised this thing. I've yeah. got it in text here, and that means that you're my yeah. magic genie, or I'm going to do this. And I love the fact that when God is has, has his prophecy, you know, he says, you, you guys are talking about Abraham, you know, yeah. and type of thing. And it just echoes that sentiment of Jesus in the New Testament yeah. saying, you know, you were saying that we're the sons of Abraham. But I tell you, it doesn't matter. Yeah. God cries up these rocks, the sons yeah, of Abraham, yeah, you know. That's right. yeah. And I love that. I love that sort of pattern that we see of it, that this heart of the of the of the Jewish people, and it's same with our hearts now, goes back to this religious, you know, yeah. definition. We, we tend to, there's a default setting where we tend to recede back into that in the absence of the, that sort of cutting edge uh, accountability to God mm. of that real relational um, process of, of, of letting God be God. And of course, the great goal, mm. as is uh, expressed in what's known as the recognition formula that we looked at mm. in the last episode that they would know that I am God. This is what God, he wants them to know him as God. So he wants to move them beyond this transactional relationship mm. that essentially was very much like what ancient peoples had with their gods, 
mm. plural, you know. Mm. Mm. It was a very transactional sort of relationship. Mm. 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 Uh, we offer these sacrifices, they do this for us. Mm. There was no sense of commitment or relationship there. And they were certainly far less than sovereign mm. and, mm. you know, and all-powerful. So, um, you know, God is moving them beyond beyond all that. And he's with the exiles, wanting them to know that he is the Lord God. Mm. And uh, and that's the most important. He's going to bring them back to himself and to his purpose. All right, let's move into chapter 34. So we have, so this is where the, all the mood changes here. Yeah. And we now get for the next few chapters, this, this, you know, like I say, the echo from the beginning in chapter 11 is coming back louder now. Mm. This hope for Israel. Yeah. We get the prophecies of hope, yeah. what's happening in the future. And it's, uh, man, this is where it starts getting wild. I love it. It's so, it's so full on. Yeah. These are really precious chapters. I mm. mean, they, they, uh, there's some beautiful material in the chapters that follow. I mean, it begins in 34 with God expressing, um, uh, the fact that the, that they were let down by shepherds who, who led them astray. Now they had some great shepherds, uh, you know, David and Hezekiah and, and mm. Josiah. But on the whole, their leaders led them astray. Mm. Um, so he says, because all of your human leaders, on the whole, um, you know, apart from these exceptions, mm. uh, have led you. They've, they've been faulty shepherds. Mm. Mm. Um, so God's saying, okay, so I'm now, I am going to shepherd you. And, and actually in chapter 34, so you get verse 11, uh, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search my, for my sheep and look after them. Uh, verse uh, 15, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, mm. uh, declares the Lord. Uh, verse uh, 20, see, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean mm. sheep. So mm. in every, so God is saying here, these shepherds, um, they mess things up. So mm. I'm going to step in myself mm. and become their shepherd. But then there's an interesting change. Yeah, exactly. This is where it gets good. In, uh, in, cha- in um, uh, verse 23, he says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. Uh, I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Yeah. So throughout the first part of, of that chapter, he's saying, I myself will be their shepherd. Yeah. And then he says, I will place one shepherd over them. Yeah. My servant David. Now, he's yeah. just said, I myself will shepherd them. And there's only going to be one shepherd, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. And that will be my servant David. Yeah. And this is, and obviously, it's not the David that... No, they, no, it's not like David it's, rises it's, from yeah, the so dead and comes back. It's not like the back. old David's coming back. And they understood, like, hang on, this is... Who is this new David? What is this new That's David? Right. So this is this is such a clear messianic prophecy mm. Mm. Um, that is predicting the coming of a Davidic king, so one in the line of David, mm. uh, who fulfills this role of kingship, he will print prince among them, but who in some mysterious sense actually is God himself mm. come to us to shepherd us. Mm. And so we have Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. Mm. Uh, refer, referring, referring to back this. to this uh, yeah. to this very prophecy, and and that's very rich because when he says I am the good shepherd, it's not only a claim for uh, his role, but he's saying something about his person as well. Because we mm. need to remember that God is saying here, I myself am going to shepherd them, mm-hmm. uh, and it's in the person of, of this good shepherd. It's so uh, it's so rich. It's so rich, and also rich in. 
And again, we don't want to race down, you know, this is a wild yeah. world of theology now, but but so rich also in talking about the unknowable yeah. trinity, the unknowable, yeah. God, you know, communal aspect of God, yeah. you know, that he is, he is with three personalities with one person, you know, that, you yeah, know, yeah. that we can't, it boggles our mind. Even reading this little bit about how he says, I myself and my, and this new David is like, yeah. we're like, how? It is. It, it's, it's a mystery. Three, three persons to be a pedantic yeah, uh, yeah. rather than three personalities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is where after 2000 years of theology yeah. and prepared to be pedantic. Good. good. Uh, not three manifestations, no. uh, three distinct persons. Yeah. Uh, and yet one, uh, and yet one God, yes. one God, not, not yeah. three. Now, of course, language lets us down here. Yes. This is where th- th- there is a reality behind the language that is essentially ineffable. Uh, and, yet, um, and yet there is a reality here mm-hmm. in the way that uh, in, in God himself and in the way that God has revealed himself. Um, and it's, it's already being flagged here. This mm-hmm. isn't some novel uh, sort of new covenant, no. New Testament idea. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that comes out of sort of Greek religion of mm. gods becoming, no. you know. No, actually, this is already uh, firmly uh, established um, here, here already in Ezekiel. And actually, you know, Ezekiel is one of these prophets, and of course, Isaiah is is one of the other ones um, who really uh, begins to formulate this messianic expectation that's going to be a feature of the um, exilic and post-exilic Jewish faith, right up yeah. and. Beyond the, the time onwards. of Jesus, yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and this is this is where it begins. That that, that uh, you know, it's not as though Jesus just turned at, uh, up out of the blue and said, "Hey, I, I'm the I'm the yeah. I'm the Messiah." No. And they said, "What? Uh, what? what? Yeah, yeah, what, yeah, what's yeah, a, yeah, what? yeah, No, yeah. no. This is well understood yeah. now. Yeah. Um, th- this expectation that this shepherd, yes, God, God Himself coming to us yeah. to be our shepherd in the form of this Davidic uh, Messiah. And it's, in it, and it's an in, interesting to note that in the year that we are now, 2,000 years, nearly 2,000 years after, after, after <laughs> Christ, mm. there are still practising religious Jews yeah. who are still looking forward to the Messiah return. That's right. They're still re- they read these exact same verses yeah. and say, and pray to Yahweh yeah. saying, Please send yeah. your Messiah quickly. That's right. Yeah, you know, um, it's it's amazing that we, you know, there's, you know, it's still there. It's, it's still it's, there. It's, exactly. It's, it as you know, and that's to underscore the fact that it, it is such a it, core part since this time. Yes. yes. Uh, and even before, of course. Yeah. I mean, one would say from Genesis. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, right. Uh, forward from there, it's it's a, it's a core feature. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Faith. So so moving into the next chapter, we hear about this new David. We hear about the messianic king coming, and this you know this idea of the shepherd. The next chapter sort of moves into not only is there going to be a new David, but there's going to be a new Israel. There's That's going to right, be a new yeah. people. So so we have so interestingly first uh, there's this oracle in thirty in chapter thirty five yes. uh, against Edom, um, and that, that that kind of, it's funny because it seems like that should belong back in the oracles of the nations. Yeah. <clears throat> but this is setting up for actually for chapter 36 because um, Edom is making a claim on the promised land at the time. Mm. Edom is saying, oh, this is ours now. Mm. Um, the, 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 you know, um, the people of Judah have been exiled. We're going to take over the land. Yeah. God's saying, uh, "No, you're not." Yeah. Uh, so that's that's basically thirty five is 
is um, you know rejecting God speaking against the claim of Edom on the land. Yeah. And then um, God is then in chapter thirty six, God assures His people, "I'm going to bring you back yeah. uh, to the land," which of course, as we know, happens in yes. um, in chapter. Uh, Sorry, in, in um, 530, from 539 uh, BC. Um, and, and then you have this amazing, with this, you're going to come back to the land. That becomes the beginning of this, of these prophecies that actually go far beyond just them yes. coming back yes. uh, to, to, to the land. Yeah. Uh, that actually tell of a new covenant that mm. God is going to make. And you mm. alluded this. Uh, to this before. Mm. So he says in chapter 24, um, uh, he says, For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will mm. remove you, f- I will move, remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Mm. This is a, a amazing, uh, amazing prophecy of God addressing the very thing, as you said at the start, mm. that was diagnosed of these people. They, mm. they are hard-hearted. And it's this incurable thing. Mm. That's important, actually, for us to recognize that the, the most fundamental problem that we have is actually an incurable problem mm. of mm. moving... Like our our main problem isn't moral failures. That that is that that's like a symptom of the problem. Yeah. The core problem and what really the definition of sin is is really independence and autonomy. Independence, living without God, and autonomy. Mm. Me saying I rule my own life. I'm mm. a god unto myself. Mm. I mean, we we are uh, trapped in that. I mean, where it's like we're addicted to that. We mm. can't break that um, that propensity, and mm. so we we have this natural defensiveness. Uh, against uh, against God that we cannot overcome. It's like, you know, the illustration that, that I've used, it's like a child, you know, I tell the story about uh, my sister locking her, one of her young, ch- when she closed the door, one of the young kids pushed the lock, you yes. know, and and the keys were in the in the car, you know, and, and this, uh, you know, um, not being able to get out of, of the she, car. The child couldn't do it. That's right. And, and I mean, God is is going to get in when no we can't get out, you know, yeah. because if we stay there, we'll, you know, we, we, we die. Yeah. And, um, and so essentially this is what God is going to do. He's saying, you, you are trapped inside, uh, inside you've locked yourself in, in mm. this and, and you're going to die there. So I'm going to save you from that. Mm. And, uh, th- this issue of the hardness of heart is, is the thing that God is going to, um, overcome. And how is he going to do it? He's going to put, he, he, he himself is going to dwell in their hearts. Mm. And, um, I mean, this is, again, full of mystery, that this is God himself, um, uh, by his spirit, uh, dwelling within us to, to give us a new heart. I mean, what does he mean by heart? This is like the core of our being. This It's like in... in in, throughout the scriptures, heart is like the seat of the will. You know, it's like our will is locked in this anti-God position. But it's like God is going to give us another will. It's the will of God that is is going to be downloaded into our hearts. And Jeremiah talks about this in Jeremiah 31. He says, I'm going to write my law on their hearts. Mm. Um, and you know, he says, no longer will a man say to his neighbor, know the Lord, 
because they will all know me. They'll know me from the inside. Again, like like we've said, now we've sort of, you know, we've we've begun to look not just what's happening in Ezekiel's timeline, yeah, but well ahead, yeah, to us now. That's right, and to even beyond, yeah. You know, it touches down in multiple spots. So there's some beautiful parts of this that I think we can read and say, praise God, that He's talking about us. That's right. And but then, but then it goes even further. Than it goes that. even further. That's right. So. You know, the fulfillment of this, of course, is on the day of Pentecost mm. when, the, when the Holy Spirit is poured out and um, into the hearts of, of God's people. Mm. And so it, it's not an automatic, it's not an automatic fix, but it's, it's this relational connection that we can have with God by His Spirit, mm. providing, you know, we respond uh, uh, to, to God and, and uh, you know, Paul speaks about living by the Spirit and, and so forth. Uh, and that really is the is the answer. The, the answer is not a technique, or, or I've just got to try harder. I've got to be more religious, or I've mm. got to be more meticulous about following the law. None of that worked. I mean, that's mm. you know the, the writings of Paul make that abundantly clear. That mm. that that the law diagnosed the problem, but just trying harder doesn't fix it. What is needed here is 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 a intimate relational connection, uh, spirit to spirit, God's spirit to our spirit. Um, and through the mystery of that relational connection, connection, the cultivation of that relational connection, uh, our, our, our hearts are renewed. Mm. And that's what is being presented here in Ezekiel 36. It's a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful vision. It is a beautiful vision. We get it. Uh, so let, before we, before we jump in, there's two things that I wanted to, uh, touch on. Again, these biblical <laughs> illusions that sort of remind me as we read through this passage. Number one is that diagnosis of the problem of the hard heart and the and the will yeah. is ultimately like in Ezekiel we see it ultimately sort of uh, uh, you know projected into its ultimate you know uh, examples in the you know in the in the horrible prophecies about the nations yeah. that are standing up against God yeah. because at their you know these kings yeah. God's biggest problem with them is saying you are putting yourself in my seat that's right yeah. you are saying that you are God and yeah. so they're like the ultimate example yeah. Yeah. of the problem with the heart and then the other side of uh, side of it is is when you know God talking about I will be with you I will be in you you know I'll change your heart we see that beautiful you know as you say ultimately fulfilled at the at the day of Pentecost mm. When you know the fire that that appeared on these on these d- disciples who were waiting, the Jewish people knew that that fire was not just you know that's the symbol that goes all the way back right. to 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 the time of Exodus, yeah. to the fire on top of the temple, to the yeah. fire, and now God's getting bush. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, this this images, this picture, yeah. these pictures are there, and now it's not just this a fire there; it's sitting over each one of these people that are now have the ultimate fulfillment of this, and the spirit in them. That's you know? right. And to add to that, actually, it was understood that. Uh, and, and Paul brings it out, this out very much in his writings, that actually in Pentecost chap, chapter, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, this is really when the glory of God returns to his temple. Mm. Because we are the temple of yeah. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, individually, but particularly collectively, mm. uh, the church is, is, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, this is, you know, chapter 36, which predicts 
the coming of the Holy Spirit is also really predicting um, the uh, the return, you know, the, the return of the glory of God to His temple. Now that leads us into, and we might have to finish up with this chapter thirty-seven, which is yeah. a massive chapter in Ezekiel. We get one of the most, uh, you know. <clears throat> culturally like a, a very well-known story or an, at least an illusion or an illustration that is known yeah. by most writers and yeah. people who are, who have read is the Valley of Dry Bones. Yeah, that's right. And this, and this amazing picture of the dry bones of, uh, you know, uh, you know, s- sort of, again, being a picture, being a very clear picture that the people, the readers would understand as sort of alluding to Adam and Eve, like to to the creation story of, you know, how God Mm. created man in the first Mm. place, that it was by God's breath he brought them up. So what is he illustrating there? Well, uh, this is, he's addressing where uh, Israel is at. They're down to one tribe, the tribe of Judah, Mm. uh, absorbed, you know, the tribe of Benjamin is absorbed in there. So, but essentially they become the people of Judah. The remnant, it's a tiny remnant. Mm. There's, you know, uh, maybe uh, maybe 10,000 of them now in exile um, maybe maybe more, but uh, a tiny remnant compared to what they were, right? Mm. And so they've lost their city, they've lost everything. So they are like a dead na- they're like a dead nation. Mm. Valley um, of the dead. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, and and this is this is God's saying to them: I'm going to resurrect you as as a as a people, mm. um, not just in a political national sense, but I'm going to resurrect you as as a people, as as a covenant people it's a much more you know as as my family and um you know the the dry bones it expresses that sense of death you know we're we're a dead but actually it's richer than that because in the vision there's their their bones out in laying out in the valley they're unburied and and according to the levitical law there's a connotation of unclean as well Mm. when it comes to dead bodies Mm. and, and bones um, and so dead and unclean at the, sort of at the same time. Mm-hmm. And yet he's, God is going to uh, raise them up. And then you have this wonderful picture. Um, there's two things that come out of this. First of all, Ezekiel is the mediator of this. Ezekiel is told, prophesy to the dry bones. Mm. And it's as Ezekiel prophesies to the dry bones that they that they come alive. Mm. Now Paul says in Romans eleven seventeen, faith comes by hearing the word, mm. and for him that's the imperative for us actually to go out and speak uh, and tell of God yeah. uh, in in all of the world, uh, because it's by this means, uh, by the prophetic word in that sense, as we testify mm. to God that our words are used of God to give life to dry bones. So there's a, you know, there's a rich idea I think that carries, uh, carries right through with that. And then of course the breath enters them and, um, the breath actually is this, it's the same word as spirit. So mm. we've seen that in um, chapter 36, mm. uh, I will put my spirit uh, within you. Well, it's the same Hebrew word breath, mm. um, ruach. And, um, and so, uh, so he's saying, "I will make breath into you," but it's the same word as spirit, mm. and by that means you're going to be you're going to be raised up. But of course, this is an allusion also to the original creation mm. uh, event when God breathed mm. into them and they became living beings. Yeah, yeah. It's incredibly rich because yeah. here it's not they're already physically physical beings, but God said, "I'm going to breathe in into you, and uh, and I'm going to resurrect you in a, in, a, in a, even a more." distinct yeah. uh, 
more significant sort of way. So it's li- literally going to be like being born again. Yeah, yeah. You know, in a spiritual sense. Yeah. So the application for us today of that? Uh, first of all, uh, it, it means that uh, actually... Uh, it means a number of things. I mean, I could, you could spend uh, hours yeah. just looking at this chapter and thinking mm. about the implications. Um, you know, first of all, it highlights, uh, you know, what Jesus says in, in John 15 when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm. You, you can do nothing really of significance apart from my spirit working. So everything in the Christian life begins with that, that intimate relational connection between us and the spirit of God. Like don't rush off and run off and, Try and change the world. Mm. No, it's it's about connecting with God and, um, and co- you know, work, um, relating uh, with God's spirit and allowing God's spirit to speak into our lives, um, and and then we become witnesses of something. Mm. We be, uh, and and as we tell of that, then there's this other aspect of this um, of this prophetic word. That it's not just some oh thus saith the Lord like that kind. It's actually through our witness, mm. our ordinary witness, actually uh, that can have um, have this prophetic significance to sound what theologians refer to as as the effectual call of God yeah. through the fallible words now, of human beings. I want to. I want to. We'll finish off with this because you're using the word prophetic, and I know the word prophetic has multiple meanings today. Yeah. Some people believe, you know, um, you know that, uh, prof- you know, when it comes to the prophetic word, it's uh, an experience to be have, and it's something, it's a new revelation or something like mm-hmm. that for today. Uh, it's a, you know, might be a gifting. Others believe the prophetic word uh, is, you know, like it says, you know, the gift of prophecy might be about not just, you know, foretelling the future or, you know, yeah, having a new, a rev- things, that's right. new yeah. revelation. But but what sense are you meaning it? Are you meaning it in the sense of, you know, prophecy being speaking forth what God is doing right now? Yeah, that's right. And that that is actually a really good uh, that is actually a really good definition. It's speaking out what God is doing so that our speaking becomes part of what God is doing. Yeah. Because remember, at the, in the beginning, God created through His Word. Yes. He, God said, and then it was. Mm. And so. Um, in this case, in chapter thirty-seven, Ezekiel becomes the mouthpiece of the sa- of, of God speaking, mm. and through that, that which is dead is made alive. Yeah. Now, you know, this is what Paul is essentially saying in Romans when he says, "And faith comes by hearing the word." Uh, so there is this prophetic significance in just ordinary, uh, ordinary Christian witness yeah. as we share that it takes on a prophetic significance. Now, there is there's a there's a other um, sort of a more formal sense of that word, you know, prophetic ministry, which is um, uh, which is speaking forth what God is doing in particular situations yes. and 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 so forth. And uh, there is, you know, the gift of prophecy. Um, this is uh, this is um, in a more in a more general sense, yes. in the same way as actually Paul speaks about a gift of faith. Yes. And yet, at the same time, clearly faith is something that we're all meant to exercise. Exactly. So in the same, in, in the same sense, uh, we all exercise a prophetic ministry in that sense. And that's, that's what I wanted yeah. to get to because I don't yeah. want anybody, I don't want you listening, uh, dear listener at home, and thinking, oh, Matt's talking about a gift of prophecy. I'm not a prophet. I, 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 this is something, this is a call beyond yeah. me. No, no, we're, we're all called to be prophets in the sense that 
we are all called to speak forth the word that we have in scripture right. yeah. into people's yeah, life. That's right. We can have the ultimate gift of prophecy, which is that. That's right. You know, yeah. into people's lives. That's like, right. Exactly, exactly like Ezekiel was saying. Yeah, doing. exactly. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's beautiful um, the way that it comes to this, uh, this, this vision, particularly from the earlier visions of Ezekiel seeing the, the visions that he saw in the temple and the mm. depravity of, of people and, um, and then to see these visions of hope and, and resurrection of people. It's, it's amazing. One of my favourite parts of scripture, the vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones from Ezekiel. Uh, it was great discussing that with Matt and I hope and pray that you have been encouraged in your walk as well. Head over to thrivetoday.net.au. That's the best way to contact us. As we build out this series and we build out the website, we want to create resources that you can actually really use. So if you've got a suggestion on how we can make that easier, if you've got any ideas on how we can better serve you, we want to hear from you. Head over to thrivetoday.net.au. You'll see the contact form right there. Please drop us a line. We would love to hear from you. And as always, we want your questions as you go through the Thrive Daily Readings. All right, it's been DJ Payne. We'll see you next week on Thrive Deeper. Thanks for listening to Thrive Deeper. If you have questions you would like answered, contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thrivedeeper or at the Thrive Today website where you can also subscribe to the Thrive Daily Bible Reading Guide. That's at thrivetoday.net.au. Until next time, thrive.